Good morning, Disciples Church. Good to see you here today. My name is Joshua Kirsteiner. We haven't had the pleasure to meet yet. I look forward to our time together this morning in God's holy word. Will you grab your Bibles with me and turn to the letter of Ephesians you'll find in the New Testament towards the back of your Bibles. We're in our fifth sermon in our new sermon series through Paul's letter. Very thankful for what he's done, God has done uh, in and through our time together so far. If you've missed earlier parts of the series or missed a Sunday here or there, I encourage you to go to the podcast on our website and take that time to, to open your Bible and study from home so that we can continue to labor together as we build on what we've studied so far. <clears throat> Today, I want to be focusing on verse 5 and 6 of chapter 1 in a sermon that I've titled, Chosen by God for His Glory. Before we dig in, let's pray. God, you are a good God, worthy to be praised, most deserving of our obedience and our devotion. Every moment of every day is a gift from you. Lord, we confess that we're often guilty of making it all too much about us, of ignoring you and not seeing your holy purpose and presence and work in it all. Father, you are worthy of our praise. Lord, be glorified in this time as we look to your holy word that you would shape and mold and grow us and mature us, that your word would challenge us. It would bring us to a place of true repentance and maturity and faith for those who came to this place still dead in sin, still Lord of their own lives. May it be your holy will that this would be the day that they would see their sin and see the beauty of the gospel to repent and believe in Jesus alone for salvation. Father, I thank you for the the time that we've spent as I've studied and prepared to preach this morning and the blessing this has been for me. I pray it is a true blessing for those who who hear both this morning and beyond uh, that you would do your mighty work in their lives perfectly according to your perfect plan. We are humbled and full of joy to get to be here together today. Uh, Move mightily in this place and in these people. It's in the powerful name of King Jesus we pray. Amen. Before we get to the why, let's be reminded of the what. What did God ordain to do? And then we'll look at why did he ordain to do it that way. To see the what, look with me again at verse 4 and 5. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This is the sovereign and holy work of God in unconditional individual election and adoption. The focus of our last two sermons. High points of understanding who God is and how He works in Christian theology. We must understand, according to God's Word, these things as He's revealed them to us. By way of review, briefly, 
unconditional individual election, according to Scripture, means this. Before God created anything, before time began, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit chose which individual human beings would receive salvation from sin and death. This choice to redeem certain ones is not based on any so-called goodness, will, or work in them. Rather, it is based on the freedom and grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ alone. Again, if you missed that sermon on election, I would encourage you to go back and listen to week three. And then last week, we studied the beautiful doctrine of adoption. That is defined, the elect of God are formally, legally, and completely made members of the eternal family of God. Church, he did this in love, it says. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus. In love he predestined us. Meaning our destiny was decided before creation. You know, it's bigger than that. For those who are his elect, those who, for whom Christ died, we are unconditionally loved before time began. Think about that, Christian. I, I said it last week and I'll say it again. God's love is set on you. Not recently, not haphazardly, not because of your great performance, not out of pity for your poor performance, but before we did anything good or bad, before we breathed our first breath, before all of creation was made, He set out to destine us, His elect, to salvation and to adoption. Christian, you are not saved. You are not a part of God's family because of anything you did. You did not earn it, and therefore you cannot unearn it. You are His because He willed it so. He chose you even when you didn't deserve it. Even though there is nothing in us that overcomes the gargantuan valley created by our sin between us and His holiness that separates us from the perfect fellowship of God. He chose us. He put His sights on us before time. And all whom He has set out to redeem and adopt become His. See the perfect pursuit of God for us, an undeserving people. See His love and His grace radically put on you and me, church. This is what He has done. And He is worthy to be forever praised for it. But why? Why did He do it this way? Why did God create knowing mankind would fall? Knowing the pain of sin and the the depth of the sacrifice that His only begotten Son would have to make on our behalf. Knowing 
how many would remain in unrepentant sin and be condemned to eternal punishment. Knowing the misery of this creation lost in sin. Why did He ordain to do it this way? We can really struggle with the why. With those things I just mentioned. Some of us uh, some of us struggle with this. Most plainly, we have to realize because we're not God. He is. And He knows. And we know to the degree He's revealed to us the why. But He is God. And I want to share with you a principle that I learned years ago that have helped me be settled and to walk by faith regarding these things that can be troubling to our finite perspective, things we don't understand all the way, or why they are the way they are. And it is simply this, and I pray it's a blessing for you too. It's very simple, but very profound. God is good and perfect in all of His ways. And so if this is how the good and holy God has ordained to do it, then it is good and perfect. And who am I to critique it? It is by faith that we walk in the things we don't understand. We yield to the authority of His written word for us and what He's revealed to us. If the economy by which God has chosen to create and save and adopt is these things, then it is holy and good and perfect. Stop and think about how easily we climb into that seat or that position or that view where arrogantly we challenge the holy God with our finite selfish thinking I pray we would repent of this and grow to trust in God and His Word full of faith. Now God actually gives us much of the answer as to why. To the degree He wants us to have it. And if we lean in today and really hear what His Word tells us, I believe we will not only begin to understand the why, but we will praise Him for it. Look with me at the end of verse 5. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. Why did God elect? Why did God predestine? To fulfill the purpose of His will. Now what is interesting as we climb into this verse and look for clarity in it, the English word, the, the, the word the translators that look to the Greek that, that, that Paul wrote to come up with an English word that would help translate what's being said here, the English word we read is purpose, the purpose of his will. And, and that's what the Greek means, but there's an emphasis that is much more personal and less wooden than purpose. 
The Greek word that Paul writes here is more of the word pleasure, to the pleasure of his will. Purpose here equals pleasure. To help us see this same Greek word used in a different context, look with me at Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, just real right near where we're at in Ephesians. In Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, we see this word here. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. The original Greek that Paul writes there for good pleasure is the same word he uses in Ephesians 1.5 for purpose. Purpose of His will. So we could understand Ephesians 1.5 In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of His will. Now I want us to see something really important here. The focus of the pleasure of God's will or I could say what gives God pleasure here is not those He has elect, saved, and adopted. While that is true, I'll return back to that in a moment, that's not Paul's emphasis here. Paul is saying that the pleasure God has in His will being done is in the act of electing itself. The act of predestination is the focus of the pleasure of God's will. We must see this this morning. It is is amazing. It is great. Let me highlight it this way. According to Paul's emphasis here, what gives God pleasure? What is the satisfaction, the pleasure, the purpose of God's will? To choose, to choose for himself a people that he would redeem by Jesus unto salvation and therefore adopt into his eternal family. Why did God elect? Why did God choose you and me? Why did God save Why did God adopt us into His eternal family? Why does He do it this way? Not because of anything outside of Himself, but because it pleased Him to do so. Amen. His will was pleased to do so, to elect, to choose. This is the same emphasis that Jesus is going to make in the Gospel of Matthew 11, 25-26. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Guess what Greek word is used for gracious right there? Same word. Purpose, pleasure. What was God's purpose? His pleasure? What is the thing Jesus is highlighting is a good thing? The fact that God ordained to choose some and not all. That it is His right to do that and the fact that He did it 
is worthy of praise. That he exercised his sovereign perfection in choosing instead of leaving it up to the created is what's being held up as the aim, the purpose, the pleasure of God's will. Is what Jesus is celebrating in this prayer. That God keeps the mystery of the gospel from some and gives understanding and eyes to see and ears to hear to others. Jesus is celebrating the very act of God's choice, His sovereign will. Now this is something we easily skip over or miss or almost read differently in these passages as we skim through them or even study on our own. Why? Why are we guilty of that? We miss it because the, the celebration, the, the, the pointing to is not focused on us. Because in our sin, we constantly want to make it about us. This is why mankind has such a hard time with the doctrine of election. Instead of joining Paul and Jesus and highlighting that it is God's good right and good choice to do it exactly the way he did, we don't want it to be about God and his glory and his sovereign right to choose or not choose. We want it to be about us. And what we want, and whom we think should be chosen or not chosen. This is the very basis of our contention with what Scripture says is the way this happens. Surely there is a better economy. In my definition of good, good equals something different than what Scripture teaches us God did. That, that is us putting our desires, our will, in, on top of Scripture. That's sin. Church, we must see the gross error in this. Because the Scriptures say clearly that God not only chooses, but that it is His right to choose. And His very act of choosing, in it He is most satisfied, and it brings Him glory. Oh, how far our flesh takes us from embracing these truths that Scripture clearly reveals as God has given them to us. May this very moment and each time you study God's Word be a chance to die to self, to put aside our flesh, and to see and savor God's will and way as He has revealed it to us in Scripture. This is Paul's emphasis to the Romans in Romans 9, when he says in verse 11 through 13, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, talking about Jacob and Esau, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Romans 9, 11-13 God's choice was not based on anything Esau or Jacob did or didn't do, or would do. It was solely based on God's free choice to put His love and grace on one and His hate and wrath on the other. Why? Paul says, why? In order that God's purpose of election might continue. Because 
that is the thing he wants to be known for and praised for. It is the pleasure of his will. We need to see that that's Paul's emphasis in our text. And in this scripture and in the others I've already mentioned. We get God wants to be praised for saving us for his grace. We're going to get to that. But do we get that he wants to be praised for his electing? Because that's what his word says. That he is the rightful one to do this. And in his doing it, he is glorified. He is glorified in the display of his power and wrath on the non-elect. He is glorified in the display of his love and grace on the elect. Again, this is Paul's point. Look down the page of Romans 9, 19-23. Listen carefully. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Glorified in both. In his choosing, in his sovereign will. The Lord is satisfied in his perfect and holy will to elect. This is Paul's emphasis. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose, pleasure of his will. The high purpose or pleasure of God is. His will to exercise His free and sovereign right to elect. This church is something we need to grow in as we study what Holy Scripture teaches us. To celebrate and hold high as Paul and Christ hold it high in Scripture. That it is God's glory to elect. The act of electing is something God celebrates and holds high and therefore we should celebrate it and hold it high. Practically, I ask you, Christian, if you are guilty of looking at the revealed, according to Scripture, act of God to elect, and you've looked down on it, or you've despised it, that Scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit would correct that and bring you to a place of repentance. To see the sin in that attitude and to climb into what God's Word says our attitude should be towards it. Not because I'm telling you but because you see it in Scripture. Now, while Paul's emphasis here is that the high aim of God's good pleasure is his act of election, the Scriptures also reveal that it is God's good pleasure in whom he elects for those whom Jesus came to save and die in their place. To highlight this quickly, it's not a part of what Paul's getting into, but I want to... I help you see that it is also true. 
Look with me at a very famous testimony that we study or read every Christmas. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, 8 through 14. You'll recognize it quickly. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Guess what same Greek word is there for pleased? With whom is God pleased? With whom he has chosen to give true and lasting peace. His elect. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom it is his pleasure to choose To call, to save, to adopt, to sanctify, and to glorify. It doesn't say peace on earth to all mankind. As I think we haphazardly kind of read into this verse. No, no, no. Jesus is not competing with beauty queens saying that the aim is, uh, you know, peace among all mankind. Peace on earth, right? That's a naive longing. As long as there's sin, there will be no peace on earth. There will be peace on earth in the new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns and brings an end to sin and death and tears. Amen? One day there will be peace on earth among all of God's elect, among all of God's children. Until then, only those who truly know Jesus know true peace. God will give true peace to those with whom he is pleased. Who is that? Those whom he's chosen to be his. Those whom he's chosen to save and wash clean in the blood of his only son. Those whom he's chosen to adopt into his eternal family. That's why the baby in the manger is named Jesus. Yahweh saves, was born in Bethlehem that day to fulfill the promise of the covenant of God made in eternity past to redeem His people unto His glory. And as Paul is emphasizing in Ephesians 1.5, God's purpose in election is to be known and enjoyed and praised as infinitely glorious in His free and sovereign right to choose or elect and for the grace He chooses to give them which is the emphasis of his next point in verse 6. Look with me. Let's read, let's read 4 through 6 so we have some context again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, salvation, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose or pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God has predestined his elect to sonship. Why? The first answer to why is what we've just covered. So that his good pleasure to exercise his sovereign election would be known and praised. And second, so that God's glorious grace would be known and praised. I want to take a moment to remind us of what God's grace is, and then what His glory is, and then we'll look at why it is God's aim to be praised for His glorious grace. God's grace. What is the grace of God? Simply defined, grace is unmerited favor or an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Both must be true for it to be true grace. Now, to be specific, Paul is addressing saving grace as opposed to common grace. We studied this a few weeks ago. We'll continue to touch on it. Common grace is that favor of the Holy God upon His creation in all the ways He lets us continue In all the ways man is guilty, in all the ways he gives us another minute, another day, holds the sun in place, makes gravity work, all the things that God's doing is the reality of his common grace on all of mankind. But his saving grace is for the elect. It is defined well in our Word of Truth Catechism this way. Saving grace is God's love, forgiveness, and redemption freely and effectively given in Jesus to the elect who are undeserving of this. We must understand grace is a gift from God, the sweetest of all gifts. Why? Because God is not obligated to give it to anyone. If anything, because of our sin, what a just and holy God is obligated to give Sinners is judgment and wrath. His justice demands that. So for us to say a good God should save wicked sinners because he's good is to think too low of God and too high of people who are guilty in their sin. He's not obligated to save anybody who's in sin. And no, neither are we deserving to be saved. Why? What we deserve because of our sin, according to the holy standard of God, is judgment and wrath forevermore. The right punishment on our sin. That's what we deserve. This is what makes grace so amazing. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. What we earn, our wage, is death and punishment because of our sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gospel. This is what God set out to exercise His saving grace on the elect. 
each of us completely undeserving, unqualified, but God being rich in mercy, who planned from the beginning, before the beginning, this most amazing, unbelievable gift. He gave us undeserving sinners salvation, adoption, eternal life with Him because of the sacrificial atonement of Jesus in our place. Church, we must see the high cost of our pardon, of our adoption as we studied last week. See what God paid so that we could be given this amazing gift. The blood of Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb, taking on all our sin and wrath due our sin and given His righteousness so that when the Holy God looks upon us, we are redeemed, we are justified, He takes us in, we're adopted, we're saved. This is amazing grace. Oh, we've lost sight of the potency of the word amazing. We throw it around and put it on a lot of stuff that's not really that amazing. So that when we get to something like grace, it doesn't mean what it should mean. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. How often are we guilty of seeing those words because of how popular they are and missing the potency, the amazing about grace. That it wrecks us, brings us to tears and high praise of our God that he would do such a thing. Church, we always need a higher view of God's saving grace. Amen? Now, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. It's the infinite worth of God made manifest. It's it's His importance above all else. Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. When the holiness of God fills the earth for people to see it, it's called glory. Holiness means set apart from what is common. The set-apartness of God His glory is His infinite perfection shining. It's His attributes on display. God's glory is the radiance of His holiness, the outstreaming of His infinite value. John Piper says it this way, the glory of God is a way to say that there is an objective, absolute reality to which all human wonder, awe, veneration, praise, honor, acclaim, and worship 
is pointing. God alone is truly worthy of our worship and our wonder forever. The highest aim of life and creation and all things, even the driving motivation of God, is His eternal glory. This is why Jesus says in His most famous prayer to God the Father, before being arrested, John 17, Jesus says to God the Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The glory of God be put on display. To put on display His power. His glory is is the purpose that governs all the works of God. He, He must be praised and exalted for who He is. And so, God elects predestines, calls, redeems, justifies, sanctifies, glorifies to this end, for this purpose, to be seen and savored and celebrated as infinitely glorious in His free and sovereign will to give grace. God's purpose is to bring about the praise of the glory of His grace, the attribute of His grace. All election, all predestination, all calling, all redemption is according to this purpose. It is for the praise of the glory of His grace. The manifestation of the wonder of God's grace put on undeserving people. God's purpose in all these things is to be glorified. John 12, 23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. A few verses later, if you remember, these are Jesus' words in the garden before being arrested. John 12, 27-28, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We're so quick, church, to make the death and the resurrection of Jesus about us. But we must see that it is ultimately about God and His glory. In eternity past, God ordained that He would be glorified in the redemption of undeserving people by the sacrifice of His only begotten Son. What we must see is that all of this is not ultimately for us. It's for God. For His glory. That we would forever praise Him for His glorious grace. So when Jesus says, glorify your Son, He's not being selfish. He's being reverent to the plan that brings God eternal glory. He's focused on all that must be done and what it's ultimately for. Do you see it? This is the why. Why? 
Why does he elect? Why does he do it this way? Why this economy? Why this plan? Why did God elect? Why did he save undeserving sinners like you and me? Why did Jesus sacrifice so much for God's glory? We are chosen by God for his glory. Church, we need to have a huge dose of wake up to this ultimate goal for creation and for our lives specifically. Our lives are not for us, they're for his glory. This is why we must fight the secular worldview that wants to make it all about us, puts us in the center. Fleshly thinking that puts us on the throne of our own lives and tends to make the world want to revolve around us and me and my marriage and my kids and my family and my objective and my dreams and my skills, my time, my thoughts, my dreams, how I want it to go. But that's the root of our sin to make it about us. The basis of a secular worldview instead of a Christ-centered or God-centered worldview by which it's all about him. The great king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, defined a secular worldview well for us when one day he looked over his kingdom and said these words, Daniel 4.30, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. <laughs> In sin, this is what we do. Now, I'm not saying you use those exact words. I've said it before that way. It's not like you come out through your bedroom doors in the morning wearing a big long robe and throw it back behind you and say, look at this. This is for me. It's good. No. Right? I'm not, I'm, saying that's how, I'm not saying that's how we do it. But we are. I don't have to say much for you to agree that quickly we're guilty of making so much of it all about me, about us, what I want, the way I think it should look the way I want my kids to turn out, the way I think my marriage should be going, the kind of money I think we should have in the bank, the way the rest of the world should treat me, the way God should treat me. We're so guilty and sin of making it about us. Secular worldview. Now, in total contrast, the Bible teaches that everything you and I have, everything we have, everything we are, every moment we have is a gift from the sovereign hand of God. And is to be used, not for our glory, but for His glory. The only reason He gave it to us is His glory. Hence, soli deo gloria. Phrase that means to God alone be the glory. A definition of soli deo gloria is this. It emphasizes that all things were created, live and move and have their being to glorify God. He will be glorified in all creation. God is glorified in His righteous judgment on man. In the display and the execution of His power and wrath. That ultimately, all that is done is for His glory. 
To the exclusion of man's self-glorification and pride, God's glory is the central motivation for the saving grace He chooses to give His people. God is not a means to an end. He is the means and the end. Soli Deo Gloria. To God be the glory alone. God's glory is the standard by which we all fall short in our sin. God's glory is the reason why He saves by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Back to our verse 4-6. through six, Even as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. The why we must see and savor is that God wanted to be forever praised for His glorious grace. If there is no fall, if there is no redemption of guilty, undeserving sinners, if there is no sacrifice by Christ on our behalf, then there is no saving grace by which He will forever be praised. Why? To be forever praised for His glorious grace. Again, this is Paul's emphasis. When we say, why have you made me like this? Why this economy of election? Who can resist your will? Answering those questions. Paul says, who are you? Has the Creator have no right over His creation? The potter over the clay? What if God desiring to show His wrath and make known His power? Both things He'll be forever praised for. Has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory. God willed to put it on display, His power and wrath and His love and grace. He will be forever praised for both. Church, we must see this. It is ultimately about God's right to rule His creation, His way, and for His glory. This is the why. The glory of God, church, is the why. The moment we make it about us is the moment we are in sinful arrogance and pride. It's not about us. Ultimately, it's about God. About God receiving glory for His righteous wrath and for His amazing grace. Paul lifted up the purpose of being predestined by God for salvation is for the praise of His glorious grace. Paul does this time and time again in his writings. We'll see this in chapter 2. A peek ahead, verse 4-7. through seven. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, 
in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Grace is the attribute of God in focus here. It is who he is, it is how he works. It is the fact that his attribute of grace is worthy of forever praise. Charles Hodge said it well, the design of redemption is to exhibit the grace of God in such a conspicuous manner as to fill all hearts with wonder and all lips with praise. John Piper says it this way, the doctrine of unconditional election is good news because it preserves the praise of God's glorious grace at every point in our salvation. There was not and is not or ever will be a point where we become the decisive cause of our salvation. God has chosen us freely so that we may not boast in ourselves but in God. This is good news because we were made to find greatest joy in praising, not in being praised. Probably the deepest corruption that we have all inherited from the fall is that we believe and feel that happiness and health come from being praised rather than from praising God. We find our greatest and deepest and longest joys not in being made much of, but in forgetting ourselves in the joy of making much of God's glory which consists very much of his free and sovereign grace. Unconditional election is designed for that great and happy end. Therefore, it is good news. And that's Paul's emphasis at the end of this verse. Why is it good news? In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose or pleasure of his will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is basically highlighting the great news that we who are beloved by God, His elect, those God who has chosen to love from before time, those whom He's chosen to save and adopt in Christ, we are the recipients of His saving grace and blessing beyond all measure. How is this done? It is done in the capital B, beloved. Do you notice that? Who's the capital B, beloved, in this verse? Jesus. It's the power of this verse. The one through whom God the Father has loved for all eternity. Think of God the Father's love for God the Son from all eternity, for all eternity. He is the one who He gives up so that we who are His elect, whom He has also loved from eternity past, can be saved and adopted into His eternal blessings and holy presence. Don't make light of God the Father's love for God the Son. Think of even His baptism. Matthew 3.17 God the Father says of Jesus, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
Do you hear the love of the Father for His Son, God the Son, Jesus, the capital B, Beloved, in this verse, in which we, the eternally Beloved, who are the elect of God, are saved by God's grace and are blessed with every spiritual blessing as we've seen so far. Church, Beloved, Brother, Sister in Christ, Oh, how I pray you see God's love for you. See how truly, utterly amazing His saving grace is. See how He is due for a lifetime and for an eternity. Praise. See the extent to which God has chosen to save us, adopt us, bring us into His glory. Again, Ephesians 2, 4-5, through 5, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Oh, church, let us forever praise Him for His glorious grace. And think and praise Him rightly for His perfect plan of election according to the pleasure of his will. We have much to praise him for. May we never let up or grow tired of praising God for these things. Pray with me and then let's sing. Father, we thank you for this time together in your holy word. You are a good God, worthy to be praised, worthy to be followed in faith, to be obeyed, that we would obey you, Lord, in every way, not be right in our own eyes, not stir up our own economy for how we think these things should go, but as your people, Lord, humbly, joyfully, consistently submit ourselves to Holy Scripture, to bind our arms together as the body of Christ, to testify of these truths according to your word, not according to our traditions, not according to our upbringing, not according to what we think might be best. Oh, I pray, Lord God, that we would see the sin in these things and we would confess them as such. That we would trust you, we'd grow in faith, mature in these truths, join what Paul's emphasizing according to your perfect plan. Lord, I continue to pray for those who might be in the room who continue a course of being guilty for their sin. They're still the Lord of their own lives. They might be adding some religion They might be throwing around some prayers or some songs, but God, help them to see that they are guilty of their sin apart from Christ. It is your command on them to see their sin, confess it as sin, and to trust their lives to you, which means to die to self and live for you, to trust you, to walk by faith in you, in all of your ways and for all of your glory. That true new birth Radical salvation unto adoption, unto sanctification and glory would would be a real thing for many who are hearing this sermon today in your perfect time and perfect way. For we who are your people, we praise you for your glorious grace, the good pleasure of your will to do all these things according to your perfect plan. We exalt you, and we praise you for the mystery of the gospel revealed to us by which we sing hallelujah to our good God. 
In Jesus' name we pray.